You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Gilieri. Paul, there is no time to get too in the weeds on our usual hashtag banter. Uh, that's a very fancy way of saying we're not going to bullshit for the first three or four minutes of this podcast. We're going to jump right into it. So let's just get all the housekeeping out of the way nice and early here. Okay. If you are not a subscriber to this podcast, then please rate, review, and subscribe. If you are a subscriber and would like to join our Patreon, Jason, tell the good listeners how he or she can do that. Uh, They can go to whichever platform they listen to this show on, go to the bio, there's a link, you click on it, and then a bunch of other links exist, one of which is Patreon. So if you want to... Want to up your ante of Paul and I, which I, you know, f- f- fortunately for those listening, we get to up the ante with someone far more interesting than the two of us. The master of segues does it again, Paul Gilleri. Um, we have got a a fantastic guest today, and it's someone that if you have been following the band for a couple of decades now, like most of us, uh, you know this person's work uh, through and through. Maybe if you didn't even realize it. And that is graphic designer Brad Clawson. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you guys? It's so great to have you, Brad. It's great to be here. Thank you guys for for uh, having me on. I'm always happy to talk uh, about Pearl Jam with um, Pearl Jam fans. Well, so happy to be here. We are we are stoked to have you. Um, and I, I, we were just talking before we got on here about how we're all relatively of the same age ish, generation ish. Uh, so growing up, becoming fans of the band, we have similar uh, similar timelines, but you know, obviously yours changes trajectory uh, in around 1999, <laughs> but we'll get there in a second. Um, sure. I read that you are from Southern California, where we currently reside, Paul and I. Uh, where were you from? Where are you from? Um, uh, well, I was born in Santa Monica and then uh, grew up in um, the first house I think my parents had was Sherman Oaks. And then my mom moved out to, to Newhall out by like magic mountain in Santa Clarita, which nice. is, yeah. is way more developed now. But, um, when we moved out there, it was, it, it, I think it's like at Booty. least tri- tripled it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. there's nothing to go out there for, um, except to go to magic mountain. That's whenever you would tell people where you're from, like, you know, where magic mountain is and they would go, Oh yeah. And that's, you know, um, but we moved out to there and then my mom foolishly gave her child the option to, continue going to the high school in North Hollywood instead of just saying, no, you're going to go to the high school in Santa Clarita out in Newhall where we live now. So I ended up still going to um, high school in North Hollywood and my dad lived in Marina Del Rey. And my, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> you my, were spread thin. Yeah. And uh, um, my friends lived all around Los Angeles. So whenever people ask me where I grew up, I always say I grew up sitting in traffic on a freeway somewhere. Because <laughs> like, I was that just driving sense. all over the place all the time. Yeah. And and I was, I was, I was thought I was going to be a hockey player and there weren't as many hockey rinks around. So I was constantly driving to rinks. So I was just in the car all the time. And, and at that time, once I got my driver's license, I think it was that, um, 
10 and verses and the and, and never mind that we're just in heavy rotation driving everywhere I had to go in in Los Angeles. So being stuck in a car, I did have a silver lining and that's like just a ton of music, you know. But did you uh, did you ever play at the uh, Culver City rink before it got destroyed? I skated. I played hockey at the Culver City ice rink. At that Culver City ice rink, I was I, there was the I was on the when I was a teenager. That was one of the teams I played on the Culver City Sharks, and I think the uh, the Kings use that rink as their practice re- rink occasionally. So you're a hockey fan. You're you're a Pearl Jam fan. I feel like we're kindred spirits because I grew up the same way. Um, <laughs> all right. W- so w- when did you get into art and design? How how did you transition from like being a goon on the ice, <laughs> knocking out teeth, to say, you know what, I'm going to paint some happy trees. Huh? What happened here? <laughs> Bob Probert to Bob Ross. Well, well, first of all, I wasn't a goon. I was like a Gretzky. I wanted to be like a playmaker, and like you know, okay. and I was was always of the opinion that that quote that Gretzky had that corners are for stamps and bus stops, and so I would take on that. I would take on that same sort of approach and just try and um, be a finesse player rather than a physical player. But um, and I would. I'm like six three. And I was a beanpole, so I was, I had height for hockey, but I was just and like my, um, they wouldn't make like shorts that could fit me, so I'd have these bulky shin pads over my skinny legs, and then my shorts, and then this gap between like my knee and my pants, and so I was just this awkward, lanky like it wasn't a sport that I was going to succeed at, but I was absolutely determined that I was going to walk onto my college hockey team and be this like Cinderella story about this kid from Southern California and all that <laughs> stuff. But um, I always drew as I always. Like for some reason, when I, I think my, my parents, my mom saw that I like to draw. So she was, I put me in art classes and I was always drawing in the margins of my textbooks and stuff at school. And, um, uh, but was determined that I was going to be a hockey player and then realized that that wasn't, and I went, but I, I needed to go to school for, uh, something, you know? And so my parents, uh, when, when you're growing up and you can draw, adults would always say, oh, you're drawing, you could be an architect. And you're a little kid and you're just drawing and you don't know what a career is or the future. And you just be like, okay, I guess I'm, I guess I'll be an architect. So when it came time to go to pick for, go to college, I was like, maybe I'll go study architecture because that's what people said I should do with being good at, at drawing. And uh, my mom had gone to some party and met some dude and talked about her son to them. And she, he said, he was a graph designer. He said, I know a bunch of out of work architects, but a bunch of graph designers are working. So within that, I was like, well, fine, I'll just go for graph design, but I'm going to be Wayne Gretzky. So it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't really matter <laughs> what, what I do. Um, and then was, uh, my delusion was, was the bubble was popped when I tried to walk on to the division one hockey team at the university of Denver and realize like, Oh, yeah, that's, that's not, a good that's school not, too. The, for hockey. Yes. So when you walked out, when you, when we stepped onto the ice, there was a, a, as they say in the South, a coming to Jesus moment for you. Is that what that was? Yeah. Well, at first it, started, it all seemed like it was all happening because the, we had this like walk on tryouts and there was like, you know, like six of us and, um, the team came on to play after the walk on tryouts. And, and for some reason, some of the players came up to me and they're like, Hey, you want to stay on the ice? We're just going to like start to scrimmage before we practice. And in my brain, I'm thinking, Oh, it's all happening. This is exactly what I thought was going to happen. The, the players have saw me in the walk on tryouts. I'm like, that guy's that lanky dude over there. He's really good. And so I sat on the bench with the team that came out to play, started to scrimmage and I, I got to get a, a shift in and, um, their main guy, whoever their, their, their biggest like star forward was at the time, I poke checked the puck away from him during the scrimmage. And can I curse? Is it okay to say? Absolutely. 
oh, okay. And he just was like, fuck, you know, and I poked the, I, I got the puck away from him. And again, I was like, oh, it's all happening. I just, I just screwed up their number one player. Like this is, it's all, my plan is all starting <laughs> to work, you know? And then I sat down on the bench after my shift and I'm like, this is exactly what I thought would happen. And then the walk-on tryout coach came over and yelled at me like, get off the ice, walk-on tryouts are over, this, that, and the other thing. And I couldn't be like, but they asked, they asked me to, <laughs> they've told me to stick around and stay, but I wasn't going to make the team anyway. And um, I was going to school for graphic design and um, I knew, and I loved music. And we, like when the whole Pearl Jam Nirvana, the whole grunge thing happened, probably like for so many people, it just caught a hold of me and and i i was a fan of music at that time but um as a coming of age at a t angsty teenager you know um it just hit that nerve that it hit with so many other kids at that point in time and so i just like fell in love with music and then wanted to go if i was going to do graphic design i knew i wanted to be involved in music somehow all right so you're at university of denver you're not playing hockey but you are designing graphically um not architecting and yeah. <laughs> The story that I've read online is that you were around 23 and sent some some art up to Pearl Jam and told them if they needed any other artwork or posters or apparel, whatever, that you'd be down to do it for them. And then all of a sudden you have this job. I need I need the story. I need I need the explanation of how you go from guy in Denver doing this for funsies, trying to you know make something of it, but also maybe play hockey to this. It, it's it, I, I'm sure it involves the college bar in Denver, a, a rabbi and uh, a priest. And I'm <laughs> yes, that was a whole different story. There's so many, there, there's so many college bar stories that we don't have enough time for all those stories. I don't even remember most of them. But I, uh, so I knew I wanted to work in, um, and you got most, you got the gist of it there, um, the story. Um, I, so I knew I wanted to work in music. And so when I graduated from the University of Denver, I figured for graph design, I could either go to New York, LA, San Francisco, or Chicago for the biggest pool of graph design jobs. And given that um, I, I had no money out of college and and nowhere to go, I do what so many other kids did. And I was like, well, I guess I'll move home back in LA and at, and at least set up camp at my parents' house and then try and get out of there as quickly as possible and get a job. Um, and then at that time, there were still a bunch of record labels in Los Angeles back when record labels were still a thing. And so I just went around and went to all these record labels and gave my portfolio around to them. And, and, and they all, and I realized very quickly that that was never going to happen. You just go give your, you know, samples of your work to some totally uninterested, like 22 year old receptionist who was like, yeah, we'll put this with the, you know, the rest. And, and, and I always just figured like maybe by the chance if I went into one of these record labels and just handed off my resume, um, by being there somebody would be like oh while you're here someone we will talk to you or something like that but that never happened um and so i ended up getting a job in la at this uh, broadcast design company called three ring circus which did like um like when you watch hbo or showtime it's like coming up next on hbo there's like graphics for that they would do stuff like that you know mm -hmm. But when I, since I moved back home with my folks, I, I forgot that I had been a, uh, a 10 club member and uh, my mom would get mail at the, I would go to the, my parents at that new hall address, that San Luis address. And when I was back there, I got one of the, the newsletters that the Ames brothers had done. And I didn't realize who the Ames brothers were at the time. Um, but I remember thinking like, man, this is the artwork. This is, this is what I want to do. I want to make stuff like what this newsletter is, this Pearl Jam newsletter. And so while I was out on the job at, at this company, Three Ring Circus, uh, which I inevitably got fired from, and rightfully so, because I, I wasn't a very good 23-year-old employee, um, but I worked on this poster. I worked on this kind of long landscape poster that said exactly what you said, like, hey, if you need anybody to do posters or artwork, you know, let me know. 
and I put my phone number and stuff on it. And um, I believe email was a thing at the time. It was people weren't using it as much, but I, I got an email back from them saying kind of what I expected, which was, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Mm -hmm. And I figured, you know, you don't get in if you don't knock. And that was the response I was expecting. And I, you know, I get end up getting fired from uh, three ring circus and uh, end up doing what you do when you get fired when you're 23 and you have no job. I went on a trip to Europe because my girlfriend <laughs> at the time had um, her mom could uh, on uh, free airline miles out of credit card, like scamming credit cards by buying stuff and returning it just for the miles. And so, so we had this free ticket to go to Europe to say the other thing, but like eight months had transpired from when I had sent that poster off to Pearl Jam. And I got this random phone call from my mom in Italy who said, guess who called you? And there was a company that I wanted to work for in San Francisco that I was, that was the only company that I wanted to work for. So I was like, Oh, finally it was this company. And she goes, no, it's better. It was, it's Pearl Jam. And I remember being like, can, like, what do you, what, like, why do you, what do you, and then they said they have your poster on their wall and they need a in-house graph design and they want to, you know, they want to interview you. And because our airline tickets were these, you know, free frequent flyer miles things, we were on standby to come home. And so we didn't know if we'd come back from, we were about to get ready to come home, but we wouldn't know if we were going to be another day or two. And I'm sitting in this hotel in Italy after this, like, not a great trip with a girlfriend traveling trip um, to, to another country. Uh, and I'm just like, we need to get home immediately. We, and I feel like I'm just, I'm just pacing around this hotel room in Italy, like not even ever thinking that Pearl Jam in a million years would call me and, and being like, what is, I, I remember just being so tense and being pissed off that I was stuck in this hotel room. Um, but eventually they did, they flew me up to uh, Seattle and they interviewed me and they said, would you be willing to move from LA? And I said, yes, yes, absolutely. A hundred times. Yes. And, <laughs> and then they, they, they hired me and, um, and uh that, and then i drove up there um but the thing i would find out later is i don't think they interviewed anyone else <laughs> i think they said this kid sent us this thing with his number on the wall let's call him they met me and they're like he seems fine let's let him do it and then i think that was it it wasn't like there was this like i beat out all these other like really talented artists or anything i think i was convenient and they were like okay him. it wasn't the uh bass auditions for metallica like we're right yeah exactly around, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah. Well, this doesn't suck. And he's got his phone number. Let's do it. Let's go ahead and do it. Pretty much. I think they're like, let's see if he's a nice person. And they're like, okay. And, and then, um, the, the, my, my, I got to work in the, in the, in their warehouse, which, you know, as a Pearl Jam fan, when you watch like oh, single video theory or, you know, you open up no code and you see those racks of guitars and, and, and like you see in single video there, that warehouse at some point as this crazy Pearl Jam fan, I was in that. I was like, this is, this is nuts. Like, this is my office. This is where I work. And and then the first day that there's a tour that comes along and the band gets to rehearse in the, in the warehouse, um, the, where the 10 club offices were, were in the back of the warehouse. And there was like a big, and really high ceilings. And there was this big wall that kind of separated the 10 club area, but it was, it wasn't enclosed. Right. And in the middle, there was like this, at the warehouse was this little kitchenette area where you, you know, couches and where you refrigerator and bathrooms and stuff like that. And uh, whenever the band was practicing, you'd always find excuses to like go into that kitchenette area and be like, I feel like I left something in the fridge again. I feel like there's still <laughs> something that I got to go, you know. And then eventually, I, I you know, because it fills up the whole warehouse. So even if you're in the back of the of the offices back there, you're yeah. listening to the band practice. Like, and that that was surreal. And, and at one point I realized, you know, when I started doing um, 
newsletters and stuff i didn't it was really tough to have like content for those newsletters like photos of the band or even just you know things to make those newsletters out of so whenever the band would practice i'd always use that as an excuse to say like hey can i take pictures so i can have stuff for the newsletters but really it was just so that i could just sit in like next to the drum kit and while they were practicing and just act and take photos i would but i, I knew nothing about photography and i'd always get horrible photos but mostly it was just my little excuse to one yes i was getting stuff that i could use for content and stuff like that but i as a fan i was like i just want to sit in the room and they let me in like because otherwise i'm just kind of loitering if i if i had no reason to have a camera there, they'd be like dude the graphic designer guy's just standing in the at corner of the room over there <laughs> and you're still new right so you don't want to be you know exactly yeah, yeah 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 you know um so that was that was a that was surreal it was it and it, it's to this day it still is you know it's still it's still you know being a, a 14 year old and and then and and listening to this band just ad nauseum and then and and then getting to go work for them and be in their warehouse is it was ridiculous you know so i i'm curious just being the, the the proximity of it all and then the intimacy of being invited into that process did you, was there ever a moment where you were like so i got this question i've been dying to ask <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think occasionally there were moments where I was able to, once I had enough of a rapport with the guys in the band and stuff like that, there might've been some questions here or there where I, I was often curious about this or that or the other thing, but um, uh, nothing that comes to mind that I could think of. The thing that was interesting to me was like um, meeting the guys in the band. Uh, I met, I think Jeff first and, and um, they had this little papa shot, like one of those little basketball, the little returns oh, yeah. to basketball, those little things, you know, with the nets mm -hmm. and certain and my dog Zoe, I would take her to work all the time, and she would the those little basketballs. She would play with them as a ball, you know. And we'd mess, we'd kick around the ball in the warehouse for her. And I think one of the first times I met Jeff and got to talk to him, I was kind of anxiously passing one of those balls between my hand, you know, throwing it back and forth while he was talking. We we're chatting, and I kind of saw Zoe out of the corner of my eye, and she's just watching the ball with her head go back and forth the whole time, and she's just that's all she's focused on is that ball. And it made me realize it's like oh she doesn't know who this is yeah. she doesn't she doesn't realize this is you know, this is this is the the bass player for pearl jam and she doesn't care she doesn't give a shit. it's just another yeah. dude she's like dude throw the ball god damn it you know throw the you know and that was kind of helpful to me in that uh, it kind of made me realize like oh right that's these are just other they're not the other people like i think when i the similar sort of thing happened with ed when i first met ed uh he was just in the front of the warehouse and i kind of come into the that kitchenette area I didn't know he was there and saw him. I was like, oh shit, there's, there's Ed. And my dog Zoe had walked right up to him and just was like, yes, yeah, this is another, just another dude, just another guy. And she wasn't nervous or scared, but I can remember when I saw him, I was like, oh shit, like that's the dude right there, you know? Um, but that having my Zoe gave me a lot of perspective in that sense. So it made me realize to be like, oh, yeah, she doesn't, these people, these that's just another human being and, and, and she doesn't care. And so that gave me a, a nice little, uh, vantage point to our perspective to have when when interacting with all of them but um and and i think at some point too there was a point where i was just such a fan of the band that whatever they said to do i'd be like yeah whatever you guys want to do we can do this that and i want to do it and i think at some point i got to a point where i felt like um more like peers or more than my art like i my i kind of found my own voice as an artist so it was more now like i, I felt comfortable when we sat down to talk about artwork that I could offer ideas and, and, and really contribute and stuff rather than just being like, you guys tell me what you want. I'll do whatever you say. And so that became an interesting breakthrough too, to be like, okay, these aren't just these people that I looked up to, but, and, and I just do what they say. It's now, so now colleagues. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're there you know, basically through 2007, right? Uh, just in house. 2000 2008, 2000. I got there November okay. 90, 99. So December to, to 2000. And then I left, I think, the summer of 2008. Yeah. Got it. So you, you're doing Deep Magazine stuff. You're doing obviously uh, tons of posters. Uh, are you doing any like t shirt work too? Yeah, all the fan club merchandise, uh, a big chunk of the tour merchandise. Um, the albums, uh, the first one was, uh, I think the first project I got to work on was a, a fan club single, and it was The Strangest Tribe. Uh, it was the one with, uh, like, Ed drew a Santa Claus, and it's brown. Um, I think Strangest Strange Tribe, and um, I don't remember what the B-side was. Um, but I did, I did that, and then I did... Uh, uh, Bailey for Stone, his record, and then right. they liked how that turned out. So they're like, let's let Brad do Riot Act. So we worked on worked on Riot Act with Jeff, and then the Avocado record, and then the Greatest Hits record, and Lost Dogs, and and then like newsletters and um and wow. birthday birthday invitations. People would come up to me like, hey, we need an invitation for somebody's fortieth birthday, or like business cards, luggage tags, and the passes. This is you get. wild. So I, I have to ask you, Brad, because. There are outlets, Jason, oh. this podcast is not one of them, but there are outlets that commonly refer to the cover of Pearl Jam's self-titled 2006 album as the worst cover art ever. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. I'm curious, <laughs> like, I want a response from like, like, it, you're, it's like, it's an avocado. And, and like, to this day, I think that there, there's so much debate and conversation and dialogue centered around that. Yeah. Um, I, I actually had a poster of the avocado with all the tour dates in yeah. my studio when I first moved to LA. And I, I, I'll never forget. I had a friend come over. It was, it, 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 well, it was a girl and she comes over and she, she looks up at that. She goes, it's pretty cool. And she didn't recognize it, it was, I had it in my kitchen. So she just thought right. it was like kitchen decor. So right. Yeah. I <laughs> loves guacamole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was like, oh, yeah, it's a Pearl Jam show. And she goes, Oh, oh it's, it's tour. She goes, Why did they put an avocado on their post? I had no response. Yeah, it's um, it's it's uh, it's it's interesting to me that uh, I've been involved with that album, which I I, I like Pitchfork when it came out. Uh, I don't know if it when that year that album came out or at some point afterwards, but I think Pitchfork said the same sort of thing, like one of the worst album covers, you know. Um, so so to, like, what what was the genesis of that? Like, at what point? Like, how involved were you in that decision? Um, well, that was so we it, when they when my time there when they would do album artwork um they would kind of switch from jeff and ed like jeff would do the artwork one album like jeff did riot act and then uh ed did uh um the avocado one um at least for like the cover and that sort of stuff uh and i can remember going into the the studio um to talk about album artwork what we were going to do for this album artwork and it was just i think it was just eddie and some of the engineers and he had mentioned this idea about uh an avocado and he's really into um the dudes who used to do the the, the pink floyd record covers uh it's like i can't it's not hip, hypnosis but it's like pig hip pignosis i can't remember how you spell it. it's like some sort of whoever the, the artists are were for that mm -hmm. and making these kind of like surreal images and he wanted to have this kind of interesting sort of strange surreal sort of object or everyday thing but then he also said you know in the same way that for yield that yield sign was free uh, advertising. And he was like, you know, you see it on the back of buses, you see it on the street, everywhere you go. So you, oh. it's, it's, mar it's marketing without having to do any marketing. 
And he was like, let's, I, he wanted to do something like that. And I can't remember exactly what it was about the avocado that he had said, like something as sort of innocuous or just as like, let's make it be an avocado. And, uh, and he made some joke like, yes, when Super Bowl Sunday comes up, we'll do like a photo shoot and then we'll cut it up and we'll have guacamole or, or, or I, that's something that extent, something like that. But I can remember leaving that, that day and, and being like, what the fuck am I going to do with an avocado? Like what, how am I going to make an avocado be cool or have meaning to it? And then I got into this whole, like, you know, stoner, like, Oh, God. <laughs> maybe if something maybe if something that has no meaning gives it meaning i started making all these reasons to my read like how can i in put meaning into something that has no full, meaning? full spinal tap yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 i originally too had i had a photo that i'd taken of, of an avocado weirdly enough um and because i'm not a great photographer it was kind of blurry but it was actually it was it was dark it was on a brown backdrop and it, it almost looked kind of like a painting and Eddie was like, it looks too much like the right at color scheme. Like it was too close and similar. And he was like, you know, it makes sense for each album. You'd want to do something different. You want to not have, have them be significant. Like this is a new record from that one, you know? And so it was very similar in color and darkness to, to right actually. And, and, and I think is partially colorblind and he likes like primary colors and stuff like that. So he wanted like, you know, blue. He's like, let's have something that's really bright, like a really good blue. Um, Interesting. And I just, I, I, I remember uh for so long trying to figure out how is how what are we, are we putting an avocado and then like when you talk about like a poster they would do like the tour t-shirts and the tour t-shirt was just like a little avocado a blue shirt with like a little avocado on the front and you're like it was so and then but then the other thing was like <laughs> then the in the inside of the album had this really cool artwork that they had used um, oh for the this, puzzles the, yeah the puzzle pieces and the, there was the, the puzzle heads. pieces yeah well the meathead one was kind oh, of the heads the like the, the rotting and stuff right like that was that yeah yes that that was the light the rotted heads one was to me i was like that's that's interesting but for that light for that video they took molds of the guy's faces and then they would project video onto the mold so that it looked like if your eyes were closed or you could turn your head, but you still had your facial features there. And so in the interior book for that record um, are a lot of the stills from that video. And those are really cool to me. I, I was like, these are great. The, and like the puzzle head and all that stuff to me was really, the, the, the like bloody meathead thing to me, I was like, it looked like this should be for like some like death metal, Swedish death metal <laughs> band, which I remember thinking, like, oh, this yeah. is a weird, this is a strange choice. Um, but I liked kind of the way that my head started to be okay with like the avocado thing is I liked that on the outside, it's this just, it seems sort of, then you open it up and it's very different and it's very, yeah. there's this whole other element to it. But um, I can remember uh, the Pitchfork review for why it being like the, the worst album cover was basically like steps to make a Pearl Jam record cover, like make a uh, blue gradient backdrop, get some Larrabee font, take a stock photo of a avocado, add a drop shadow, done. This is your, this is your <laughs> album cover. And I took total, I took not total. I took some offense to that because I didn't, I didn't disagree. That was pretty much how it was made in Photoshop. However, the font house that they mentioned Larrabee, which is like a hipster font house thing. Um, I made that type. Like I, I called it the alfacado. I, I made like a whole bunch of letters out of, I made a whole alphabet of fonts for that thing. And so I wrote Pitchfork back and I said, you guys are free to your opinion about what you think about the record cover, but that's not it. That's my font. I made that font. <laughs> that is amazing. That By is the way, right. I love, I love the fact that Ed was thinking about the marketing of it in this way. 
and you think about who he was in like 94, it's a complete opposite kind of person. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah well, that was, I think his idea was like, every time you pick up an avocado, you'll think of that record. And, and he might not be wrong for Pearl Jam fans. Pearl Jam brought to you by Haas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think at some point, um, somebody in like the avocado, uh, the avocado, like California commission sent the band, like a crate of avocados. Of course. Like, it's like, of course. thanks guys. You know, that's um, fantastic. Well, let's switch gears from album covers to posters. I think I think most people would recognize your work from with the band. Um, we just learned a whole bunch about everything that wasn't posters that you know I didn't know about, um, even the avocado stuff. But um, you know, what do you make of the concert poster and where it's come? Because now it's a thing where, especially among Pearl Jam fans, like it is a collectible worth waiting hours in line for i mean does it does it blow your mind that people are waiting so long to buy this thing and then it, like it'll sell out or then you go on like collections or espresso beans and it's up for like thousands of dollars like what how does it make your does it blow your mind and it was something you created yeah right yeah yeah and, and it, it is it is it is odd especially when you see some of that stuff up close and personal like at, at flat stocks where you, you can go like to bumper shoot and you can, a bunch of poster artists sell all their posters and stuff and you'll see p- these kids come up who are at the festival who are clearly don't know your artwork and they're like yeah i want to buy that one that one that one and they're like oh that one's cool and this one's cool and you're like oh you, you've never seen this have you and then you realize some guy around the corner had paid these kids like a bunch of money to go buy Cause he'd already bought one and I was trying to limit him to one per person. So that, that became weird too, where you're like, there's a whole weird, like the aftermarket thing of it. But yeah. the thing that's interesting to me about how posters have come is how far they've come is, um, you know, originally they were flyers to announce a show, right? You, you'd mm-hmm. see it on the telephone pole or you see it on yep. a posted on yep. some, yeah. on some construction site wall or something. And it's advertisement. It's exactly what it is. It's, it's advertising. Here's this band is coming to your town. Go buy tickets, this such and such date at such and such venue. Um, and now the poster has become, like you said, it's a collectible and it's not used for advertising the show. The tickets have already been sold. The, the poster is not selling tickets. It's not telling you, you don't see it till you get there the day of the show. And even the, the merchandise companies will tell you don't release the image until the day of the show, which is an interesting aspect of yeah. a piece of advertising that is supposed to promote a show. And now you're told don't show it at all. Like wait until the show is actually happening and people are inside the venue. So that to me is always kind of an interesting aspect of how far posters have come when it used to be just something to say, Hey, make sure you show up here, buy tickets. Here's some cool artwork for you to catch your attention and look at it to now being like, don't show anybody until they get to the, to the concert. Um, but it is, it is, it is, it's, it's crazy to me that, you know, I've been able to have a job doing this and, and, and you can, and, and, and you can, you know, I, and I, I forget sometimes too, that like, um, when I'm rolling posters and, 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 you know, I'm annoyed that this is what I have to do and I'm sitting there and that's what I'm taking up my time on that day. I have to remind myself like, dude, you're sending your art all over the world. Shut up. You're not shoveling horseshit. <laughs> it could be, it could be a lot worse. And I remind myself that like, some of these posters are framed and up on people's walls and they see it every day, you know? And so that's a trip too. When you really, cause like I send them, you put them in a tube, you send them off and then they go away and, and, and you forget that aspect of it. Like, Oh, to somebody that's a big memento. It's a, it's a, you know, it's it. And when I make the poster, um, I think about this all the time that like, um, cause I have it happen to me as a concert goer. Um, 
I want that image to be as cool as it can possibly be because I want, if somebody goes to a show and it's some epic show and maybe the show is just amazing or they meet their wife or, or, or whatever, they have some amazing, profound moment at the show and they buy the poster and they frame it and they put it on their wall and every time they see it, their memory is triggered of how awesome that show was. I want to try and make sure that, that artwork not only is something that they really like because I don't want them to frame something and be like, that was the show I went to, but I don't like the image so much but that's the one i went to so i do i do think about a lot like i want to make sure that because for somebody this this is going to be like an amazing night for them you know this is going to be they, they waited months for this to happen they're, they're getting there and um and i want i think about that i think like i want to make sure that i make something that is going to be hopefully special to people and 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 it'll be something that they really cherish and because i i have that with um um shows that i go to there's a queen's the stone age show that they played in uh 2018 that that I did the poster for and it's one of the best shows I had one of the best nights of my life at that show and so every time I see that poster it triggers those memories mm -hmm. of that you know it's of that time I went with my buddy Danny and we had just a ball we had a blast and you know so I think of that stuff when I make the posters is that this yeah. is going to be that for somebody it's going to be that Rorschach memory trigger you know you know it's it's funny you bring that up it I, I am one of those guys that has these things Me on too. the wall, you know, yep. as is Jason. And, and I got posters on my wall. You, you do. Yeah. yeah. Now, one thing I'll say, Jason is very committed to having every poster of every show he's ever been to. And, almost uh, all of them. Almost all of them. So I, I, I'm totally on board with that process. Uh, you actually sent me down a rabbit hole where th th there was a period where I just started looking into Pearl Jam posters. And if if it spoke to me, I had to have it. And yeah. interestingly enough, that you have three that were absolute must-haves for me. So the the first one was the uh, May fourteenth, oh four Showbox Seattle show. You oh, had yeah. a, a beautiful design of it looks like a, a crow, I think, or a raven with a uh, with a hawk. Thank you with the ammo, and then mm. it, it, it's it, it's cloaked essentially in the skin of uh, a dead dove is what it looks yeah. like. And, and uh, I just thought that the the symbolism and the themes and the motifs that you could pull out of that image were so profound. It, it was, it had an ability to generate discourse in ways mm -hmm. that you don't often see from a, a, a concert poster. So I, to, yeah. to this day, I mean, I still show people that image and I say, what does this make you think of? And it's, it's amazing psychologically, the uh, trigger points that get activated from looking at that and, and, and uh, the interpretations of it and the conversations and the, the, the paths that it leads people down. So I, before I get to uh, your response to that, I, there's two more I want to share with you. Sure. And okay. then I'd, I'd love to hear any background you have to offer on those, those three and uh, whatever your favorite poster is that you've designed that um, regardless of how we all feel about it. But another yeah. one that I, I've always felt, truly stood out and it, it might be i think uh, a signature work as far as, as pearl jam posters go is the 2006 washington dc poster from yeah. uh, may, may 30th uh you, you it's it's a stunning piece of art it's got the, the cross and then the grim reaper but instead of in black it's the american flag and it's got yeah. that really cool uh gothic font um again it just it it's so provocative as an image, you, you you can't look away from that. It's the kind of thing where you you don't even have to know who Pearl Jam is. That that kind of an image, that that type of art is something that I could easily see somebody going out of his or her way to buy. And then uh, one of my personal favorites was the uh, 
the 2006 show in Toronto. You had uh, look like a oh yeah Pearl, Pearl Jam's font uh, essentially became this floating house. Like the font became the the uh, interior or the ex- the interior walls, and then you had this like it looked like a hydra or something. There was like two dragon heads in blue coming out over the top of it. Um, yeah. It's just some of the most creative and ambitious concert posters and the way that you were at least particularly in this one the way you were able to weave in the font into i mean i, I always think that that uh, that that architectural dilemma right does form follow function or does function follow right. form and I, that's my favorite element of that poster because you're looking at the the the, uh, the the font and you're looking at the letters and it's like well they're formed in a way that's functional right that this for this is the double frame door and this is that but then at the same time like there's there there's uh the, the functional piece also in it, it invites the form. So I have to ask, what are any little bullet points, any, any little nuggets that come out from those three pieces in particular? And then as a follow-up, uh, what is a show poster of yours that you can think of up top of your head that really, really, really stands out to you something you're most proud of? Um, well, thank you very much for those. A lot of really nice uh, things you said there. Thank you very much. Um, uh, the the showbox one was the very first poster that I ever did. Um, oh. So that one that one has a the very first screen printed poster that I ever did. Um, so that one has a super special place for me too. But on that, so does the showbox. That venue has a very special place to me as well. So to get to to do that for any um, I mean, of Pearl Jam at that point, that's a big band playing a little venue, you know. Um, but that one was very much this idea of. I mean, keep in mind, like 2004, 2004, 2005, 2006, there's the, you know, 2003, there's the Iraq invasion. Mm -hmm. And uh, young idealistic me was very, very politically charged and raging against the machine. Um, So I had a lot of things to say about this idea of um, America as this, these bringers of, of, of peace under under the cloak of of this hawkish war machine you know this idea that we're going to iraq to bring freedom or bringing peace when really we're bringing it with tanks and and, and you know telling people telling the world we're going to shock and awe them with how much devastation we're going to cause but it's for freedom so it was kind of that idea of playing off this idea of whenever the american government and i say that specifically the government not about america the people but the the, the powers that be um take this stance of being this peaceful nation all the while having this massive military that they flex all over the globe you know so it's that idea of this this hawk and this dove playing off that idea of you know hawks and doves the the warmongers and the peaceful people so that to me was a really great opportunity to get to actually say something you know and 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 communicate that i that idea and that i like that idea of what you just described about people having discourse about it because to me that's what good artwork should do it should ask make you ask contemplate and think about things you know if you go see a, a my a good way to tell if a movie's good to me is if i think about it the next day if i wake up and i'm just like what was that what was going on with that character what was that all about you know if you leave a movie and you're like oh it was cool it was fun you know and then you stop talking about it then it was entertaining you know but um and then the the dc reaper one was again was just you know like i said young idealistic you know me full of piss and vinegar and vitriol for for warmongers and people that 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 cause war and destruction to kind of make a statement about that um, and again, was tying into the Bush administration and the, that that Iraq war. 
Um, the really interesting thing to me about that poster is like, I know people have made comments and be like, oh, Brad's anti-American, this, that, and the other thing, because some of the, the takes like that's that's a pretty strong take, you know, to have this American flag, you know, Grim Reaper. But the thing about it, excuse me, too, is that that Reaper is holding dog tags, right? He's, mm -hmm. it's, he's, it's soldiers that are also dying, you know? So, um, and the thing that I, when I think of that poster now is that years later, I got an email from a teacher at West Point, the, the military academy. Whoa, wow. And he wanted that poster. He asked, he said, do you have any of these? And really? he was like, and I said, yeah, I, I might have a spare one somewhere. Um, and I, I just asked him like, what is it about it that you want? And he said, I want to hang it up in my office because I want the cadets to know what they're getting into. You know, I think it's really wow. important really wow. important for them to understand what we're doing, you know, and this poster expresses a lot of, he can talk to them about that via that poster. And, um, even saying that, that gives me kind of chills. My, 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 uh, my grandfather went to West Point. And so to, to try and, what do an it, honor. And, and that that's, um, there's to try and make artwork where you can communicate and get people to discuss and talk is something I've often tried to do. Sometimes you just want to make something that's rad, you know, it looks cool and it's, it's killer and it looks like a rock show, you know, but there's other times where I usually want to try, at least to me, it makes it more interesting if I can say something. And sometimes it's, you know, club you over the head overt, like the DC Reaper. And sometimes it's something that's more subtle to me that I maybe only get, but that getting that email from then talking to that professor at West point was, I was like, Holy shit. Like this, yeah. This this little thing that I made is actually doing what I kind of hoped it could do, you know. And um and the Toronto one, the 2006 one, was just uh, that's based off the song "Severed Hand." I just really really liked that song. Um, and and <laughs> as do uh, we, yeah. And uh, it's about tripping. It's it's like in hiding, you know. It's about a, a psychedelic trip. Um, and the lyrics, you know, look around the room's taller now. So I wanted to try and make it like, how can you make it look oh, like wow, the perspective yeah. of of the room is changing and um you'll see dragons after three or four so there's <laughs> dragons coming out you know uh and there's a big man stands behind an open door so the, and behind the door it says i can't remember what the lyric is do you do you want some more whatever it is you know um and there's a severed hand on the table that says with a wedding you know, recognize a severed hand recognize it by the wedding band sort of that i'm sort looking of at it right now as you're talking about it this is uh, wild and then it's so and then it's supposed to be ed in that little chair like that the, there's a the image of pete townsend is um it's referencing him and then on the other the date for that poster is on an Ames Brothers poster which I asked them if it was okay if I could use their because they did a my morning jacket poster and my morning jacket was the opener so I asked them if I could use their my morning jacket poster image as it was framed in that little room um but uh my favorite one that I've done for myself there's a couple that come to mind one is the I, I did a I think it was 2011 the Black Keys an Amsterdam poster that one all the pieces really came together well for that one um Pearl Jam posters the the 2010 Dublin one I've always really liked um the 2014 Milton Keynes Keynes poster which was uh had Andy Wood and, and was referencing um Chloe Dancer and Crown of Thorns was based off of that song that one uh I I'm particularly fond of that one and uh there's a Queens of the Stone Age poster I did for a Salt Lake City show based off the song Feel Good Hit of the Summer. Hmm. And I love the way that it turned out, but I just like that if you look at that poster, it's all the drugs that are mentioned in the song um, <laughs> ass assaulting a polka band. And and Josh Homme from the Queens learned how to play guitar from uh, 
getting poke he learned polka music when he was a kid that was the first thing he learned yeah and when you think about it he's done interviews about this if you listen to the queen's music oh yeah i I can see that now if you listen to like uh no one knows it's polka yeah it's like got that polka groove to it so that I really like that um, that Queen's poster because it's nicotine, value, Vicodin, marijuana, ecstasy, alcohol, and cocaine all um, just manhandling and assaulting a polka band, and that gives you the Queens of the Stone Age, right? So that's the that's the formula for the Queens of the Stone Age is heavy drug use and polka music, <laughs> and only only Josh Homme could make polka music cool. Like there's no one yeah. else who could who could possibly be like, yeah, we're gonna take these polka beats and make it a dance groove with heavy riffs. Like no one else could do that, but. Yeah, yeah those you are... could literally have a, a a book with each one of these things and a little write up for each one. Well, we I have could. a book. That's a good idea. Don't, don't you have a book called From a Basement in Seattle? Yes, I do. And the, the bummer that, is that, that um... was an invitation to plug, Brad. Well, <laughs> 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 it's unavailable. I, I can't find it. I can't get it on Amazon anymore. What's going on? They, the edition run went out. They, yeah. they we, I think the edition run was only like 6,000 or something. I don't remember how many it was, but they sold them all. And then um, right before COVID, they were going to reissue a second edition. I wanted to do another round of, because that came out in 2010. So I have another oh, yeah. decade. If I could I could fill up another book easy. Yeah. Um, and, but they were like, no, let's do, we're going to do a second edition with like a different cover. And then they added like six more posters to the book. So I was like, that's not that big a difference to the to the first edition. But I was just stoked that they wanted to do it. And then COVID hit and the publishing world was like, no, we're not, we're not doing anything. And so I've spoken to them again and they're like, let's let's wait a little bit longer. And and I think another book will be coming out. I would happily plug the other one, but like saying, I don't think you can, I don't know if you can get it anywhere. Um I don't have I ran out of my copies too. So I couldn't find it anywhere, uh, but for eBay and other places where it was astronomical in, in price. Um yeah. Well, that's uh, good to know. At least it's not yeah, like selling. It's not in the bucket. It. It's, not, it's not like <laughs> three bucks for a nickel. <laughs> it's like when you go and try to find like one of your favorite movies on DVD and it's like two ninety nine. Like, yeah. yeah. And this is not <laughs> I, a thing. I, I've always wondered what it felt like for a band to go into Amoeba and find their CD in the dollar bin. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a piece of bass. <laughs> oh, man. You should have seen the sign. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to ask a couple questions from our patrons on Patreon. Um, from Michael, he asks, um, is there a theme beforehand um, from either you or the band? And how much, um, uh, I guess, does the band influence what you do for a show, if, at, if anything at all? Um, usually there's not very much input. Um, usually when you, uh, you get the email from, from Teaser, from the merchandise company, and they'll the only art direction you ever really get is um if you can reference the city that would be cool but you don't have to do that mm-hmm. and um that's that's it i think with um the 2020 that canceled gigaton tour was the only time where you got a further art direction which was try and reference the environment like try and make something mm-hmm. about um uh, i don't know necessarily like climate change like that word but to be like something about just make it be about the world and the environment so that that was the only sort of direction in in or, you know a decade plus or since doing this institute like almost two decades um that's about the only art direction we've ever been given for what a for tunnel work. attitude yeah and, and it's the best part about it i think i think i think uh, there was a quote from jeff in the in the ames brothers book and he said this in the past before but it's like when you give artists the freedom to to 
to create, then they're really going to, you're giving them the freedom to create. And it's true when you let artists like, you know, run just like horses or something, like, give them space, let them go do, go do what they're going to do. Then you'll get a lot better work than trying to, you know, always put your finger in the soup and tell them like, yeah, it needs more of this or needs more of that or change this or that, you know? So if you just let them go and say, Hey, listen to the music and you know, what do you, what, what does it make you think of? So no yeah. question. Um, as a follow-up here, this is a question from another one of our patrons. Uh, this is from Amy. And uh, Amy wants to know, uh, what is your favorite part of creating the back of poster content? Uh, when it's done. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the back of the poster stuff is always the last-minute thing where you're like, fuck, I got to do the back of the poster. Like, <laughs> I got to figure out what I'm going to do on the back of the thing. And... Um, uh, I think, uh, the fans probably dig it, but I think all of us artists and especially the printer can't stand it. Cause they're like, God damn it. We got to print on the back of the poster too. And they got to put those little foil stickers on there. Oh, that's right. The, yeah. The little the holographic things, which I think someone does that by hand. So that's a total pain in the ass too. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> but, um, but the funny thing to put in the back was they started doing that. Um, Chris at t I think said they came up with that was partially because of artists like myself and maybe a couple other people that whenever we would have to submit our concepts for what we wanted to do for the poster, usually sub submit a sketch. But my sketches are always messy. So I just type out what I'm going to, I'm like, this is what it's going to look like. And I'll tell you a story kind of about what it's going to be. And they were like, Oh, we kind of got the idea for, you know, we should have, because of the emails that I would send. And I think, a I think a couple other artists that we should have them tell their inspiration about the poster and we can put it on the back of the poster. And so every time I do that, we have to do the back of the poster. I'm like, God damn it. I kind of did this to myself. This is partially, <laughs> I'm partially responsible for this. Um, but usually once I get past that, uh, that anger at having to do this and think like, right, I want to have something on it. If it's a song, like the, the, the Nashville one was just based off the song rats. So that's really easy to just be like, I can just pull some of the song lyrics that I was thinking about for this and put it on there. And, but then for other ones, I've written like a whole manifesto. I've typed out like a whole diatribe and, and written a whole, a whole thing. So, um, I, didn't they play rats in Nashville too? Yes, they did. They which is, <laughs> they did, they did. Um, which is, like I said, I've, I've done, I think a four or five posters based off of songs. And I think now with that Nashville show, I think I'm like two for five. So it's always a risk to put it. Like I was, I always make the comment that like, you know, when people hold up signs at the show, like play dirty Frank or whatever, the poster is my sign. I, I just have a, I just have a more, more time to work on it than just a Sharpie and a like pizza box, you know? Um, but they don't always play the song. And so when on the nights where I do a poster for that's based off a song, I kind of watch the set list feed, like, come on, come on, like you got to play it. You got to play the song. And then the night happened, like, shit, they didn't play the song. So then, then you I think, just call up Jeff. How did you miss it? How did you miss the metaphor? <laughs> it was all there. <laughs> no, actually, um, uh, I, I, at that Nashville. So Ed said before they played rats, that this was a request yeah. from Jeff. From Jeff. And so I think Jeff hopefully did be like, yeah, we got it. Let's do that. You know? Um, and it's, it, it was basically when I did that poster concept, it was just a guitar player. And Jeff said, make it a, can you make it a bait maker playing bass? And so I was like, all right. And then once I, she was playing bass, then I started thinking of Pearl Jam bass lines and I was, thought of rats. I'm like, that's such a killer bass line, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, it, then I but then I think about that. I think if they don't play the song that the poster is based off of, like I did Masters of War for Memphis, and you take that poster home and you hang it on your wall, and you're like, they didn't play Masters of War. <laughs> that That's show. the story, yeah. though. There you go. Yeah. It all works <laughs> either way. Yeah. 
That's the answer, Amy. <laughs> Your uh, website, artillerydesign.com. Yes. It, it shows off pretty much everything that you have done. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 great, except I have a bone to pick, and that is that they're all sold out. Oh, yeah. So, you <laughs> Not know, all I'm of them. Here, some there. Yeah. Well, the other ones I'm looking for, because I'm, yeah. I'm scrolling through, <laughs> looking for the cool, all the cool Pearl Jam ones. I will admit, one of the four, I've seen the, the band 25 times. I'm missing four posters. One of them is 2006 LA Night 2. Wow. I go on the website. It's sold out. I'm like, what the hell do I do? How do, how do yeah. I get this damn thing? So do you have the ability to re-release things yourself? Or is it like Pearl Jam owns the artwork afterwards? How does that work? Um, yeah, no. Once uh, once a print run is done for a show, that's it. That's it. They, they never get to reprint them again. I, I did, when I did leave working for Pearl Jam, I specifically talked to Jeff and said, uh, I want, all of my art from my posters like like that reaper in case i you know or like any of like that hawk and dove like any of the images that i've done on posters i would like to retain the rights to if i wanted to make vinyl toys out of those or make art prints out of those or do anything i would like to keep those and him being an artist and probably having to deal with you know record labels taking their songs and stuff mm. like that i think it's very open to being like yeah you can have your work and do whatever you want so long as obviously the band name isn't on it you know mm. i can't just take i can't just take that la pearl jam poster and print a thousand of them and i i so wish i could that would make my life amazing if i could just do a, a timed edition of that pearl jam dc poster and whoever wanted one could get one oh, you know yeah but um and i think and i think like most of the bands are kind of that way i think uh maybe i got an email one time from fish where in in, in their email to you they kind of said we own all the artwork for this so i i you know but most bands don't really say that i think it's kind of given that like and there, there are a lot of poster artists who specifically make a gig poster with a band name on it that's easily removable from the image so that they can turn it into an art print oh. and they take the band name off of it and say and sometimes some artists do that and it's kind of hacky and you can see it you're like oh they just slap the band name over that right. and then they're gonna pull it off and make an art print out of it which to me i'm always like i i can't really ever do that because i'm trying to incorporate the type like that toronto i want it to be part of the image so i can't just pull the right. type out you know and have have an image I'll have it's like whole the uh, this the world series t-shirts where it's like so world series champions 2016 there's like a little circle but they just slap the team logo on it who won <laughs> yeah, 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 that is yeah. so lame yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was, it was better than probably having to make t-shirts for both teams and you have boxes and boxes full of t-shirts for the team that doesn't win. And then and you want some, some like third well, world for, country. Fortunately else. for yeah. you, Brad, uh, all of the teams are winning with you. Uh, you've, <laughs> you, you, you've produced a, a lot of posters for a lot of bands. Uh, you, you mentioned a good handful of them up, up, uh, the top here, black keys, Queens of the stone age, uh, Metallica, just to name a few kind of curious though, are there any new bands that you're going to be working with soon. I think this is a, just a great, great way for us to end, just figure out what's next in the world of Vlad Klaus. Brad. Um, yeah. I like, I like Vlad. They say make me sound like, uh, <laughs> like, like the Vlad, Vlad the Impaler. Impaler. Yeah. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, but, based on some of your art, I could see that fits <laughs> in your wheelhouse. I was going to say, I was going to say more like Vlad, the, the lanky hockey player. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Vlad, the bean pole hockey player. Yeah. Um, the, 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 I've thought about this a lot, actually, in that um, the majority of the bands that I do posters for, uh, I'm 46, um, like we're talking about us being kind of in similar age ranges, um, most of the bands that I do posters for, the musicians are in their 50s pushing 
going up to 60, you know, uh, I, I'm Queens of the Stone Age, all these bands, Pearl Jam, uh, Foo Fighters, Nine Inch Nails are having 25, 30 year anniversaries, you know, and they've been bands for a really, really long Metallica time. 40. 40. Yeah. Um, and there are moments where I'm like, man, I, I don't have, I don't do bands posters for, I could even really necessarily tell you any young bands that are coming up. And I, I know when I was a, a 20 something in Seattle, I was going to shows like four times a week and seeing all the opening bands and seeing, I was just, I was constantly going to concerts and had my finger on the pulse of who's touring. What's this band? Who's, Oh, I, I, I wanted to go see the whole bill. I wanted to see, cause in case an opener was really good, I wanted to see them. And, and um, now as a, a middle-aged man, I don't, I, I, I don't know what young bands I've, I've thought about a lot though. That I'm like, man, I, and, and not to be uh, uh, sort of dark about it, but it's a true part of it. Um, given that there's that Taylor Hawkins concert happening today. Mm-hmm. Um, there are moments where I'm rolling posters and I think about what if somebody in this, in this band or that band dies and then they're not a band anymore. And, and, and um, you know, it would like, for example, like Pearl Jam, um, I've worked with those 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 people, and and I would consider them uh, friends of some in some in some way. And so I would absolutely be sad if any of those people anything happened to them. But then, in a very sort of immediate way, I think like, oh shit, that's a client that I would I would I would lose. Yeah. You know, I, I, that, that's a big client for me. That's no longer going to be a band anymore. So uh, I I oftentimes start thinking recently, especially like, man, I need to start figuring out what younger bands are out there that are coming up that have the, the hard part is to find out what the fan base, you know, it might be some super hot band, but if the fan base isn't into the posters, mm. then that's not really a thing, you know? And then I've done posters for bands that I love and I have, you know, 95 of their posters left because I sold five out of a hundred because nobody really, the, that, that band doesn't have a fan base that buys merchandise or mm, whatever. You wow. know? I can't even name bands that I would even, I, I can even think of that are, you know, somebody who's in there, you know, uh, twenties or something like that. That's just crushing it. Or that's, that's going to become the next big thing. And I'm sure there is, I'm sure they're out there. Uh, I should, if you're listening to this by chance and you like concert posters, hit me up, you know? Um, <laughs> but, um, it's something I, 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 I'm, I'm starting to feel like I need to kind of do more research to and pivot to. Cause well, you know. I heard that, um, this guy, Eddie Vetter that you might've <laughs> met before, uh, he's been working with somebody named Andrew Watt, who seems to have his finger on the pulse on the pulse of uh, what's going on these days. Yeah. So yeah, say, I, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Say, seriously, man, you're not too far <laughs> away, my friend. <laughs> I, I did. I only thing I I, I, uh, I I know he was playing with with Ed in his um, solo shows, and I think I saw some footage of that. Was he wearing like purple pajamas? Dude, did he had he, show. His his um, wardrobe for these shows is just wild. It's like he just yeah. he's going. He's just like putting a like a eye mask on and going. Okay, I'll grab those pants. Those are pants. Okay, and that's a shirt. Cool. <laughs> what what it, what it is and how it matches it makes no difference to that guy. Yeah, I think I saw some clip and I would be like, dude, that dude's wearing like silk pajamas. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but he's he's had his fingerprints on so much, so much. Yeah. You know what? Uh, that, that, like that hotcakes. Is- that is a that is a good pro tip. I should I yeah. should put that in. Oh there. yeah, no, like we're joking around, but like that, that that's a serious thing. Like he he's done a bunch of uh, Bieber, Halsey, um, uh, Migos. I mean, a little, I mean that obviously the the genres kind of go all over the place. But he's he did the Elton John record, he did Eddie's record, he did the last two Ozzy records. Like he's kind of in there. So I would yeah. I would reach out. Yeah, that's a good that's a good thing. I will t- I will put that in my. Uh, we we would happily reach out for you. 
but we're, <laughs> we're just two dudes recording. We're seven degrees away, so I don't have that connection. <laughs> we're seven degrees from Kevin Bacon. <laughs> are there are there bands that you guys are listening to that are newer bands that you that you are into and you dig? You, you know what? Um, <clears throat> there are. Jason and I talk about this a lot. Uh, a, a lot of the bands that I listen to are just spread out. I mean, like, I, I'm a big fan of a band called Bears Den. They're from across the pond. Mm. A couple of bands out that way, actually, that I'm really into. Uh, you heard of Kaleo? They're a great band, Icelandic no. band. I want to say they're in They had a big Nashville hit two now, years ago? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot of great artists out there. Uh, you know the band Thrice? Yeah. They're probably 40. Um, their sound has really kind of evolved from like the emo, hardcore emo, yeah. like thrashy to more of like a. Actually, their their last couple of records sound more like Gigaton than anything else in rock radio. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're really cool from Orange County. Uh, yeah, but I'm, but I'm, really, I'm often amazed and I don't go to these shows, so I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure I'd be pretty willing to. to to wager a safe bet that like some of those main acts um there's so many big touring acts that don't do tour posters that don't do like silk screen and they would they would like i think about like uh, it makes me think of, like billy eilish or beyonce or any like even like kanye west and these people like it's the same you have this all these fans do posters for every show and 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 you're all those beyonce fans would eat it up all like yeah. billy eilish's fans would eat taylor it up swift same thing i mean oh, they... taylor swift taylor swift would be huge yeah you'd, you'd probably the same thing like pearl jim probably have lines of chicks waiting for that the poster for that you know um i think you'd want to get styles. harry styles would be great too yeah that, and those could be even visually you could do a lot of kind of elton oh, yeah. johnny graphics all and, kinds of boas yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, there's lots of times like that. We try and reach out to these other acts that maybe don't do that stuff, and like you guys are missing out on a on a on a on a merch revenue for because the the posters are that thing. Oh yeah, that, you know you can buy a T-shirt, you can buy something like that, but the poster is that one thing that is, is kind of like stamps that that event in history. You know? And it's immortalized yeah. too, man. I mean, like we yeah. talk about, we, we were joking about, you know, I've got so many of these twenty some odd posters framed. And they're they're there forever under glass. Like they, they look exactly like the day that I bought them. But like the tour the tour T shirt that I got from my first show in ninety eight right. is I still have it, but it's tattered. You right. know, like it's, <laughs> these things fade. But the poster yeah. under glass doesn't fade. It's 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 there ensconced in in wait, what's the stuff from Star Wars? The uh the stuff that oh, ca- carbonite, carbonite, carbonite. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like, yeah. it's like a carbonite, you know. It's like that's what it is. So I mean, I I don't I don't know why you wouldn't want that moment in time just on the wall. Yeah, and and like I said, it's 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 a piece of artwork tied to a moment in history in a band's history. Like that's that was the poster for that day, for that night, for that show. And um, it's one of the things I really like about it is that uh, it's cool to get to work uh, for bands that you were a hero of as a kid and and, and that stuff. But it, it it makes me I always makes me kind of a little warm and fuzzy inside to be like on some little like footnote uh, attached to s- of these bands that I'm a fan of. My artwork is tied to like that show forever. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the image for that show. Then that happened, and so that's that's one of the the. There's a lot of pros to this job and a lot of interesting aspects to this job. But it's always it always makes me really cool to be able to get to know that. Um, I can kind of like just barely hang onto the coattails of some of these huge bands and just put a little asterisk on their coattail and be like, I had, a, I made some art for you guys once here. <laughs> well, yeah. You know what? The, the, the flip side of that, my friend, is that you are an exceptionally talented artist 
And uh, these bands ultimately simply provided a pathway for the rest of the world to truly appreciate what you have to contribute. No, it's kind of you to say. Um, it's what I quietly also agree, though. I just, I wouldn't say you, as you should, because <laughs> I, I literally sought out your work for shows I had never been to. <laughs> mm -hmm. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, uh, like I said, we, we will have you on again because we could talk about this stuff for hours. Um, I got to mention artilleriedesign.com is a website where you yes. cannot buy most of the posters because they're sold out, but there's still some. And uh, Brad.Clausen on Instagram, where you are unshooting your feet off. For, I'm trying uh, my feet yeah. back on. Yes, I'm trying. Exactly. Um, thank you for coming on this show yes. and talking about our favorite band. And I, I still have questions about how the posters are made and all this stuff. But we'll, that, we'll do that in part two. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on uh, the show. Much sure. appreciated. Yeah, thank you guys very much for for the invite and for and taking time to chat with me and um and for the super kind words that you said about the artwork. It's always it's always awesome to know that when you're sitting isolated alone working on this stuff with your head hunched over a, a drawing that it, some that people you know are picking up what you're putting down and they're they're they're, they're digging it. So it's it's always it's always good to get those that reinforcement and to make makes you know that you're doing something at least that people are paying attention to and they dig it so thank you guys so much for um liking the artwork and for having me on what an interview that could have gone on for six more hours paul easily <laughs> <laughs> was that I mean, we've had some great interviews on the show, but as far as like the profile of guests in the intrigue, was that like top ins for you? Well, what a lot of it, what it came down to for me, and I think that it's, it's the personalization of it all. It's those little nuggets of walking into a room and what you see, you know, uh, this idea like you walk into a room and you got your dog and Eddie Vedder just strolls in to pour himself a cup of coffee. It's, it, it's this innocuous, seemingly, you know, everyday thing. That ultimately, it's it's just you know, we're talking about being a conduit into an experience that I think anybody listening would love yeah. to share, you know. And so I'm not saying that uh, if you haven't met the band or somehow been directly affiliated with them, that we don't want to interview. Of course, that's ridiculous. We've had outstanding guests on the show, and and uh, some of the greatest segments I think we've had with our interviewees have been. Uh, have been their their own personal histories and stories and and, and the things that they've shared, uh, but with a guest like this, I think that's what's so unique is that when you're when you have a passion like art and it can manifest itself in a way that marries to a band that you love, and you can it, it's no longer a labor of love; it's just a passion project, and it pays, uh, and then it, it just becomes living the dream, man. And and to me, that's the best part about it. It's not even about six degrees with kevin bacon or you know what i mean it, it's more more than anything it's just the the beauty of watching somebody's life unfurl the way that it did and being able to just tip my cap and say that's awesome man good for you so that was brad clausen and uh i cannot wait for the next uh guest to come on the show to share all kinds of wonderful tidbits um the bar has been set quite high mr clausen ah. um let's move on though to our Lyric of the Week.
Look at the week this week comes from Vitalogy. Oh, only so many choices left here. And we're going with Satan's Bed. All right, Paul, Satan's Bed, last verse of the song. What do you got? So this song here, I know it's a big, it's an underrated favorite of yours. You're a big fan of this one. Uh, I, as am I. Uh, I actually like this one more than Whipping, I think. I go back and forth. Really? Yeah, I go, it's, it's, there's periods where I really into this one more, and then there's other periods where I'm kind of feeling Whipping more, but... I'm not saying they're interchangeable, but th- those two songs are in a similar tier for me. Mm-hmm. So this this idea, though, that <clears throat> you know, it doesn't come off. You know what I mean? I've never shook Satan's hand. See for yourself. You'd know it if I had. That shit don't come off. Mm-hmm. I just find it interesting that we, that there are some choices we make in life that we are tattooed by. Yeah, and you can't walk away from that i mean there are, are figures in sports that make decisions like well, michael vick with with the, the dog ring or ray rice hitting a woman or like it doesn't matter what you do you will never shake that stuff and it goes to it's not just politicians and sports stars it's anybody i mean if you are a spouse and you you or i'm sorry if you cheat on your spouse like it it doesn't matter how much your spouse adores you it's it's going to be hard for that person to ever see you again as someone other than the spouse that I love, but also the one who cheated on me that one time. There's always you an know? asterisk. Yeah, there's always going to be that asterisk, you know? Um, and that was probably By the way, a, a terrible example to use, but... Well, it, how about, how oppression is it of Ed at the time to say these words, which are damn true in 1994, before the internet really exists, where nothing is lost to time? Like, you right. could have That's any of these point. moments at any point. Yeah, and, and I mean, obviously, he's not talking about his relationship with, with Beth and, and, and you know, infidelity sure. or, or anything like that. I think more than anything, it's, it's just about the relationship with corporate America and, and selling out and things like that. That was mm-hmm. a, a big theme of, of, of the band's music at the time. And a lot of the stances that they like to publicize, uh, but I'll rise and fall. Let me take credit for both. That line is great. That, that accountability, just owning it and being able to say, no matter what happens, like I want to take credit for both, not you. If I do well, it's because I put my heart and soul into something and did well. And if I fall apart, it's because of the choices that I made. I'm not going to let you dictate for me or take credit for me the path that gets, that get, not that gets chosen, but the path that I choose. Uh, nor do I want you to choose one for me. You know, um, jump off a cliff, don't need your help. So back off. Again, it's like it, 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 if I'm going to spiral, it's going to be because I choose. And it's these, these, these polar extremes that he references in terms of making choices. It's it's, there's no middle ground here. It's either the highest of highs or jumping off of a cliff. And either (laughs) way, it's going to be a choice I make, not you. That comes from a sense, not just of agency, but a sense of urgency. There's, there's this need to assert the, 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 the power of will, this need to assert this, um, self-realization and this fear, this deep rooted fear of having somebody else dictate what your life is going to be like and, and who you're going to be and what will define you. Um, and I think for somebody who's young, I mean, that's, that's, that's a driving force 
Mm. If you really think about the way people define themselves in their youth, uh, the way we did, you know, and it's not just fashion statements and aesthetics and clothes and cars. I mean, it's it's about the the positions you hold, the things that you you put out there on the internet these days, the things you're willing to tweet or post or or you know what I mean? It's it's very much branding. Everything's about branding these days, yeah. and so I think. Uh, I think that there's some salient points here that Ed's making. And uh, I think in a lot of ways, it really defined like this set of lyrics really defines a lot of his mindset at the time, as much as anything you'd see on Corduroy or, or uh, not for you. Uh, I, hard to top that because I, I pretty much feel very much the same way. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those songs that, um, I, I think I enjoy this more than most do. Um, and it's, I think it's because it's simple. It's, it's simple imagery. It's simple metaphors, yeah. but because the music is simple and happy go lucky sarcastically, of course, I don't, I don't mind the simplicity. I think it all works together. Not every single song needs to have a multitude of layers. There's just enough layers here. There's just enough metaphor here. Um, and it works. And I've always enjoyed the talk of Satan, mostly because it makes some people uncomfortable. <laughs> but I think that's the punk in me. But the, the using it in this way, using it in this way. Um, so the first two lines to what you said, I think, are really intriguing for those reasons. But like you, it's the third line that really kind of piques my interest. That I'll rise and fall. Let me take credit for both. That 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 strong desire to um, this necessity for Ed to prove to everyone that he and only he. Is responsible for his actions yep. claiming that like actively wanting to claim that either way it goes not not afraid of which way that goes um i love it and the good and the bad it's it it's all me man that's what he's saying i i, I think that's fantastic it's a lesson that should be um well applied and i think more people need to apply it to themselves this this lack of scapegoat scapegoating pardon me is refreshing it's so refreshing and it's to compound it. You've got the last hyperbolic line telling the critics to fuck off, you know, in, in so many words, mm -hmm. it's simple, but sometimes, like I said, we need the simplicity. Um, this song's lyrics fit. Well, you mentioned whipping. I think if they fit well with whipping, um, and how direct and straightforward they are in you know, the music and the, uh, the, the suck Satan's dick line <laughs> have probably put, many in the dismissive camp because it feels like do 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 like it's almost like campy and carnival-y and you have that that dick line and people go ah this is just like this is this is b-side material yeah i feel like there's a lot of that um unless you do what we've done a number of times in the show and force yourself to actually really look at it and go what's he trying to say here and there's always something more and, and there is something more here in this song. And I love that even in this one stanza, you've got something like you said, that could be applicable to the mindset of the entire recording process. Yeah. In this it's, little song. It's also, I mean, in addition to just the, the ending with the already in love and, and just the, 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 the unison calls, yeah. the, the whip. Yeah. You have a song like, like rival with the dog that there's just a, a select handful of tracks in the Pearl Jam catalog that have these interesting introductory sounds mm. or or, or um uh effects 
and uh, whether it's a, a, a dog growling or, or the, the crack of a whip, I think that there's a special place for those songs because I think it does a really great job of symbolically setting the tone for the composition with something other than a musical note or, or, or a, um, you know, a guttural scream from Eddie or something like that. So I, I, I always, I don't want it to see it happen a lot. I think it takes away from that effect when you do that, but it's done just sparingly enough throughout Pearl Jam's music that I find that when it is done, that it, it's particularly um, impactful. I agree. I agree. Well, this song has only been played 39 times in the live setting. So uh, let's go ahead and find the best one in our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up! Live cut Satan's bed. So it's been, like I said, 39 times. The first time was early 94. What are we going to do? We're staying in 94, Atlanta 94 to be precise. Back to the Fox Theater. Let's go.
So, yeah, that was really good. First actual performance of the song. They tagged it once previous, that, right. that, according to livefootsteps.org. So this this joins the uh, the small club of having its live cut picked as its first performance. And interestingly enough, and Brad mentioned this, when you have these European bootlegs, a lot of times they would release songs without knowing what they were called. Mm -hmm. And Satan's Bed was very often called on those boots already in love. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. have a few of those where that's <laughs> what it was called. So as a matter of fact, I think one of them might contain a, uh, a, a pretty piss poor uh, recording the like re-recording of a recording of the soundboards from Atlanta. That's that doesn't sound particularly great. And I think it was called already in love even there. So, well, luckily we uh, got this as a free vault release a couple years ago. Uh, and it sounds divine. So that's great. Um, this one is one of two performances to happen before Vitalogy came out. Mm -hmm. um, the band is about as tight as you can be for a first time performance. And I think, I think Ed nails the lyrics without almost any issue, which is kind of unusual for this song. Cause it, for some reason he's, he's often missing a line or, 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 or conflating yeah. two things or reversing two lines. Um, it just feels like a song really suited for Dave too. And this is one of yeah. only two performances we get with Dave. And so, what I love about this, this version here is that, it was actually released in an extended or expanded version of the dissident single. And so it was basically the Atlanta 94 show was released and it was a three disc mm -hmm. release, but it was coupled with the dissident uh, single. And I think the, the shorter version was the dissident single with a handful of tracks from the show. But this, this one I have contains all, almost all of it. There might be uh, one or two songs missing from it. I think it was missing rock in the free world or something like that. But, uh, what I thought was interesting was in in terms of its composition, it doesn't sound anything like what we have on verses. So you're listening to a set list that is pretty much the majority of his 10 and, and uh, versus songs. And you hear a song like this and you're thinking that's, Whoa, okay. That, that's an interesting song, you know? <laughs> and I, it, but it was a precursor to what I think we were going to get obviously with Vitology, which was yeah. something very different. It was, it was. And at that, after that point, you had Jack playing it, a little bit different feel. Yeah. Um, not to say that any of those recordings weren't great, but here you've got a really, really tight performance of the guy who recorded the drums. Right. So, which I think is key. Yeah. Cool. All right. There you go, guys. This was a a long one, but a good one. Uh, we want to thank Brad Clausen again for joining us, uh, regaling us with his Pearl Jam life story that continues. By the way, he's still making <laughs> posters for the guys every now and again. Uh, hope to have him on again. And, you know, we have some business that we kind of teed up last episode about a vinyl copy of No Code. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about Halloween mm -hmm. and I was thinking about this this copy of, of No Code and how a while back I had this copy and, and uh, I think the consensus was Paul should sell it. And uh, he should use those funds to and reallocate them towards his vinyl collection. Well, the reality is, you might have uh, even said buy batteries. Yeah, uh, I, I did actually say buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was another option. Right? I think that was the 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 the, uh, the biggest boat getter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's the deal, though. I didn't do that. All right. I I curbed my selfish instincts and I said, no, we're going to hold on to this because there's going to be an opportunity to give back. And what better way to give back 
listening to our wonderful community of listeners. Mm -hmm. So I say it every show and I mean it feed the algorithm. (laughs) So here's what we're going to do. All right, here we go. Our faithful friends, we are going to release this beautiful still packaged version of no code and vinyl to a listener. And all you have to do to become that winning listener is feed the algorithm. You have to rate and review to this podcast. It wouldn't hurt if you unsubscribe and then subscribe again. It's a little, little, little algorithm hack there, but rate, rate and review. Okay. And depending on how many of these we get, we will, first of all, we will read the top five reviews. It's a, free, uh, but, it's a free copy of no code. I mean, presumably exactly. like, uh, that's all if you want. No code. All you have to do is go to your, your podcast platform and swipe your finger over however many stars you want to give us. Click write a review. Now, when I say write a review, it, it, I, I am not setting any parameters here, Jason. It could be a single word review. It can be a paragraph. It can be a single line. It can be an emoji. It does not matter. <laughs> Whatever you want your review to be. We're talking 15 seconds of your time and you mm-hmm. are now officially entered into Man. the sweepstakes for a no cold final. So uh, who says no to this? I don't know. It's, it's, and it's a, it's a, it's a random drawing. So, you know, the, mm-hmm. the reviews will come pouring in and we will write those usernames in a hat. A witch's write, hat, I think. Oh, so well, we, like we won't write them in the hat. We'll write them on no. paper, put those pieces of paper in the hat and then pull or, or, or maybe a jack-o'-lantern. I don't know. Sure. Something, Whatever fits the mood. Something Halloween you know? theme for sure. Um, obviously, there will be whatever we pick out. We will call you out on the show, and uh, you'll have to uh, show us a, a proof that you wrote that. You just go into your your settings, your profile, and it shows you all the reviews that you've written. Just so that we're all above board. Uh, the deadline for this is midnight Pacific. I guess it would still be daylight time. Pacific daylight time, midnight on October 28th. So Friday night, the Friday before Halloween at midnight. So technically that's Saturday morning Mm -hmm. uh, here in Los Angeles time zone. And uh, we'll pick at random and announce it at the end of the next show that comes out on November 1st. So there you go. Yeah. It'll be like, uh, yeah, it's, you know, this is basically the, the, the hurtling, flaming head of, of of the headless horseman coming at Ichabod Crane and then in the aftermath of November 1st with little pieces on the ground and, and that that hat we're going to pick that hat up and we're going to pull the winner out as you can see I'm, I'm getting into this. spinning this a yarn here I'm spinning a yarn so <laughs> well, there you go. everyone's like Jesus Paul could this podcast be any longer this week no so which this is, is why we're going to repeat everything we just said about this contest at the onset of next week's episode to make sure it does not get lost on anybody. And we will repeat it every week so you know you can't miss it. We'll post it on Instagram, we'll post it on Twitter so you know what to do. Mm -hmm. Very simple, very simple. This is open to everyone, not just Patreon. I'm so excited to finally offer a reward for feeding the algorithm. A a good one. We need need a a good carrot here. Yeah. You know? All right, that is the show. Enough from us. Uh, we thank you, as always, those who feed the algorithm, those who are patrons, those who just listen and talk to us online. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we'll be back next week with another fantastic show. And until then, you have been listening to 
the state of love and trust. Still, I